Greetings, journeyers. Welcome to another episode of Read Keeper's Journey. This week, we return to Heather, Stacy, and Ken as they find themselves in the hands of the Hyperborean. Now, back to the story. Chapter 27 Heather staggered through the forest. Gnarled branches clutched her hair and wet leaves slapped her face. She didn't know how long she had stumbled through the black woods, but she knew if she stopped, she would never move again. Snapping branches and dark forms on the edge of her vision propelled her forward. Something screamed. In victory or frustration, she didn't know, but the sound launched her into a run. A root clutched her leg, and she fell headlong onto the wet ground. Her hands sprawled onto the dirt, and her chin clicked with the impact. She had to get up before a familiar, hot, orange light spread across the forest floor. Heather stood and faced the canth. The fiery beast sat on its haunches, complacent and terrifying. The damp floor smoldered and hissed beneath it, producing an acrid smoke that burned her eyes. Did the taste appeal to you? The heat of its voice washed over her and baked the cold sweat from her face. Heather commanded her body not to tremble. Leave me alone. Did you find it rich and satisfying? The voice crackled. What do you want? Your flesh. It smiled and leapt, its fire engulfing her. The room spun as Heather's cheek collided with the floor. The coolness of the stone embraced her as she wept. The bed she had fallen out of was nothing more than a smooth plank of wood with a thin blanket for padding. Stacy still slept, curled into a protective ball, and gracefully undisturbed by Heather's thrashing. A hint of dawn pried through the shutter slats. She shook the last remnants of the nightmare and rose to her feet. Heather's eyes lingered on her bed, but instead she covered Stacy with the blanket and stepped silently across the room. She sat on the only furniture that occupied their quarters. The stool gave a squeak of protest, but decided not to collapse. Lacking a brush, she began to run her fingers through her hair and attempt to work out the tangles that had developed during her unfitful sleep. There was a moment last night when Heather thought the guards would kill them where they stood, and she also remembered she was too tired to care. Thankfully, the treaty held, and Optio Poopyface, as Stacy had named him, escorted them to a holding house. It wasn't quite a jail. Barely. Apparently, the treaty didn't mention anything about comfortable lodging. Still, Heather believed it was better than the alternative. She rubbed at her eyes, which only exasperated their grainy feel, and let her hand fall to her side before resuming detangling her hair. White suburban teenage girls were not designed to ride on horseback, be attacked by creatures, she shivered, and sleep on planks. The unknown also dragged at her. Back home, one really didn't know what was going to happen on any given day, but a person could at least make some type of reasonable assumption. You get up, take a shower. Oh, a shower sounded heavenly. You get ready, go to school, try to stay awake during calculus, hang out with Steve, dine with the family, finish any homework, take another shower, and go to sleep, or pretend to go to sleep and spend at least an hour talking to Steve on the phone. That about summed it up for the day in the life of Heather Shackelford. And before all this, it sounded pleasant, if not a little dull. 
Now it sounded like a perfect life. Now she felt like a feather in a hurricane, being blown about by tremendous forces, with no idea when it might stop or where she would end up. By the time the others had aroused, Heather decided to keep the dream to herself. It was probably just her subconscious coping with the outrageous circumstances, and there was no need to worry the others about a stupid nightmare. She would probably be having them for a very long time. Besides, she knew where to hide things where no one would find them. Ken was not a morning person. He pulled himself off the floor like one rising from the dead. His short black hair jutted out in bizarre angles, and his face had a comical, puffy look to it. He grunted and blinked his eyes as he trudged his way to a deep bowl of water in the corner of the room. With only the slightest hesitation, thrust his whole head into the cold water. How long have you been up? Ken asked as he dried his face and his hair with a towel that had seen better days. Not long. So, Ken stretched and cracked his back. You think they're going to kill us? Stacy, still in bed, began sobbing. Idiot, Heather snapped. I didn't think she was awake. Sorry, Stacy. Someone is always listening, Callista said as she rose from the ground. She hardly resembled someone who had spent the night sleeping on a cold stone floor. A girl could have stepped out of a salon. Heather's arms dropped to her side, giving up on her nest of hair. Nothing is going to happen to us, Heather said, sitting next to Stacy and rubbed a hand on the girl's back. They made a treaty. They promised to be nice. I, I don't think I could walk anymore. Calista said you don't have to walk anymore, and the sooner we leave, the sooner we'll see your brother. I know, but I'm so tired. Whining does not suit you, little one. Callista reprimanded. Heather almost responded, but Stacy grumbled something under her breath. Yes, you were. Callista arched her eyebrow. I have graced you with a reprieve from your punishment. Should I reconsider? No, Stacy said sullenly as her hand drifted up to one of the brightly colored bands in her hair. Very well. The Meptat turned her piercing gaze onto the others. We should gather our things. I don't think we'll be here much longer. The door opened, and a very large armor-clad man with pointed ears filled the doorway. You will come with me, he said. Since you asked so nicely, Ken said. As you require, Calista flowed across the room and out the door. Come on, Stacy, Heather said. They're probably going to give us something to eat. Stacy brightened at the mention of food and followed Callista. Button it, Ken, Heather said. Despite her assurances to Stacy, Heather didn't know if they were headed to breakfast or the gallows. At least it's a nice day, Heather thought as they crossed the stone-paved courtyard and passed the structure they had seen from a distance last night. It was a circular building made of stone, surrounded by columns that supported a disc-shaped roof. It looked almost exactly like the Jefferson Memorial she had seen on a visit to Washington, D.C., Visible through a narrow arched doorway, an imposing statue filled the room. The face held a scowl, and she hoped never to meet the person the statue represented. Every street she saw contained at least one large flowing fountain. Townspeople filled various stone and glass jugs with clear, bright liquid. The thought of the possibility of taking a bath or using a toilet awoke a desperate fierceness in her. They came to an enormous house and were led into a clearing in the middle of a small rose garden. 
a Hyperborean sat on a stone bench admiring the flowers. Two armed guards flanked him. One held a shield and helmet, and the other a sheathed sword. A third Hyperborean, who wore no armor, stood behind the seated Hyperborean's right shoulder and held something that resembled a notebook. Their host turned to them and smiled. His warm countenance was eclipsed by a scar on the left side of his head. The bright white line ran through his short-cropped red hair. I am Centurius Quintus Menicus Rufus, he said. Callista stepped forward and curtsied. Callista of the Metaph, third keeper of the staff and watcher of the tree. She nodded towards Stacy, who gave a hasty curtsy. This is my Sima. Her name is not yet grown. Welcome, daughter of Hippolyta, Quintus said, but remained seated. A long time since your sisters have journeyed to our land, though rumors abound. I have heard of a large number of you traveled to the north. I am sure that is merely time again for the ratification, and nothing more. Perhaps you got separated from your group? Attacked, maybe. You stated to my gatekeepers that you have been through a struggle. I myself have lost two scouts recently. They were good soldiers, and not ones easily ambushed. I'm sure you know nothing of that. He paused for a long moment. And of course, there is always talk of the others. Some mother refuses to believe their children ran off, and so blames the others for their disappearances. The imagination lengthens with the shadows, as they say. After another long pause, Ken stepped up. I am Kenneth Long Cavalier, and this is Heather Shackelford and Stacy Reed. We are looking for the one called Trendock? Odd things abound. Here are three with names that are new to my ears. Now that is very interesting. The scarred centurion smiled, and a chill ran up Heather's spine. And if you seek his worship, you pass him on the way to my manor, though I do not know what a statue can do to help you. The Sibius Trindia is in Rome, Penam, but you can speak with the priest here. I hope you brought gold. If not, I heard he does have a taste for young girls. Quintus eyed Stacy. That's it, Heather thought. This jerk was wasting their time, and Heather wasn't going to stand here and let this creep scare Stacy. Heather stepped forward to give him an earful, but Callista shot her a look, and Heather held her tongue. Callista seemed unfazed by the Hyperborean's veiled threats. We were attacked by the Exotheneo, and can't have attacked and killed one of my sisters. We are going to Ropenam for the purpose of meeting with the group. This is going to ratify the treaty and to seek Trendok, if he wishes to be found. Evil abounds, and not merely rumors. I swear by my braids we are no threat to you, and we must continue the path quickly before us. You four were attacked by the others and survived, the centurion mused. This is a tale I wish to hear. By grace and luck we reached the river, Callista said flatly. Salsas, Quintus said, tell me what you see. The hyperborean with the notebook stepped forward. They puzzle me. A lone, high-ranking armored dryad escorts three children with deformities and strange names into our territory. They give the appearance of being attacked and seek refuge behind Hyperborean walls testifies to their desperation. I cannot guarantee it was the others that attacked them, but a small group such as theirs with dryad woodlore could easily skirt the town's detection. 
A tension descended over the shield and sword bearers, and Solace addressed it without missing a beat. I mean no disrespect, honorable guards. You are the best soldiers in the territory, but you cannot see what you do not look for. You are trained to perceive and defend attacks on the city, not to prevent a small group attempting to avoid the city altogether. If they had not been Salsas, Quintus said almost endearingly, Yes, Demine, forgive me. The odds of these children, all having the same deformity, suggest that they are outcasts from a land I have not heard of, or they are lost travelers seeking a way home. In either case, seeking Trendog would be a suitable quest. He could heal their ears and possibly return them to their land, or both, if found. The Sima is most interesting, Solace continued. Callista of Metav, third keeper of the staff and watcher of the tree, has strong feelings for her. Otherwise, she would have refused the request to become sisters. The child, lost and afraid, must have wanted to reunite with the party that left before them. Perhaps a family member was in the first party, a sister or a brother. Ah, yes. Her reaction states that it was her brother. An older brother, I would guess, since he would feel responsible for the safety of his younger sibling. The Sima then contrived to force the Metaf to leave the tree by making the request. The wrappings on her feet clearly demonstrate that she had been punished for her foolishness. Stacy gasped. A bead of sweat slipped between Heather's shoulder blades. The scarred centurion Quintus clapped his hands with a loud pop and laughed. Excellent! Salsas, you never disappoint. Very well. I had hoped to spar words with you, Clista Metaf. It is a long way from Roe Pinmon, and I need to keep my mental edge sharp. But I will not make light of your journey to entertain myself. You must eat and water before you depart. I will have your supplies replenished. I think it best to give you two of my men to accompany you on your journey. They will be excellent fighters and also protect you from suspicious citizens. I'm afraid to say that not all my people adhere to the treaty. Scavia and Elias, Quintus addressed his two guards. You shall not be insulted by Salsus, and you shall not repeat his words. Salsus, you may return to your duties. Quintus stood and bowed his head towards Callista. You are most welcome in my home, and from now on, please, address me as Rufus. Heather's head spun. The centurion was like Quicksilver. She was sure that he would not just let them go. She watched Salsus depart with his stiff back and notebook. There was something about him, a vague memory that refused to surface. Still, she was glad he left. They were escorted into the manor. The home reminded her of the missions that dotted the California coast, though it was apparent that this place was for living and not worship. The heat of the day was climbing, and the cool air trapped behind the thick adobe walls was refreshing. The red-haired centurion led them to a low table surrounded by floor cushions and covered with an assortment of foods, cheeses, meats, and fruit. He reclined on a long pillow at the head of the table with guards flaking him and motioned them to sit. He raised his chalice and said, May our sins be forgiven. The others followed suit. He nodded in approval and took a small drink. Heather's hands itched to reach for the food, but she waited until their host had begun. Ken was not so cordial. He was already filling his mouth with meat. Heather shook her head. 
The boy did everything without any forethought. Of course, she reminded herself, it was also that characteristic that led him to jump into the dark waters and pull Callista to safety. She pushed away her agitation of her companion's rude behavior and reached for a thick piece of meat. Kenneth Long Cavalier, may I call you Long? Excellent. Rufus didn't hesitate for a response. Please, tell me your impression of the others. Ken's eyes widened momentarily, and then he answered around a mouthful of food. Twisted. Like looking at a carnival mirror. They were all different. Some were too tall, and others had huge heads or arms with extra elbows. He shivered and took a drink from his cup. Wow, this is really good. He took another drink. Anyhow, they all seemed to be made that way. Not like they were born or anything. I don't know. It was dark, and there was a buttload of teeth and claws, that's for sure. Indeed. You and your group are very fortunate, Rufus said. I have never seen one, but your description is accurate. They are the exotheneo, the despised, or we call them the others, and they should not be in my territory. I have only heard of them in the mountains of Car, and even that is a legend. Though something must keep the Lektok from returning home. A Hyperborean girl entered the room carrying a stack of three thick white robes. Please, dress yourself in these, Rufus said. I believe they will be useful. She handed a robe to Stacy, Heather, and Callista, and then stood against the far wall with her hands folded in front of her. Heather exchanged looks with Stacy, but followed suit after Callista threw the robe over her clothes. They each pulled a large hood over their brow after gentle urging from Rufus. Stiff as ever, Solace entered the room with a person in tow that Heather instantly disliked. The newcomer was dressed like a hermit, clothes, boots, staff, and a hooded cloak as if he wanted to give the impression of humility, but failed miserably at it. His clothes were obviously tailor-made and sewn with the finest material. His gilded staff, which Heather assumed was a symbol of authority, was ornate and gaudy. He was smooth, white, and fat. He reminded Heather of a maggot. He strolled into the room, looking down his nose at the furnishings, like a person that sees people as things and treats them as such. His eyes lingered on the girl who brought the robes. He reminded Heather of her dad's stepbrother, and she loathed him. She glanced at Ken, who also eyed the oily Hyperborean as he grabbed yet another cold cut. She hoped that he could keep quiet for once. Ken's eyes met hers. He gave a discreet nod and continued to eat. Nothing has the appetite like a teenage boy, Heather thought. Rufus stood and greeted the newcomer as if he had been waiting for him a trifle too long. Greetings, Bishop Nod. What brings you to my humble home? They clasped forearms, smiled, and shook once. Heather doubted anyone in the room was fooled by their warm greeting. These two despised each other. My apologies. I was not aware you were entertaining guests. The bishop oozed. I wanted to see if you had any information about last night's missing child. I have come to report more sightings of the Metaf as well. It does not surprise me. Rumors are driven by a fool's hot air. Rufus's smile widened. But please, do not trouble yourself with such whispers. It was not whispers that killed your scouts, Bishop Nod replied. Heather caught the slight change of expression in the centurion's eyes and suspected that the missing soldiers was not public knowledge. The hermit saw it too and gave a grin that reminded Heather of a snake. Yes, 
It is sad. Rufus said, all the false warmth gone from his voice. Our occupation is full of perils and untimely deaths. It is a difficult and thankless job to protect the kingdom, and the dangers we face are not always beyond our walls. Did you know I have heard other whispers? Whispers that say my soldiers were killed to fuel hysteria and disrupt my fair town. What type of twisted mind could devise such falsehoods? Bishop Nod dabbed sweat from a plump jowl. He gave the guards a nervous look. Heather thought Rufus's verbal sparring skills were just fine. Such lies should be cut out by the tongue. The bishop's feigned rage was belied by the quiver in his voice. If you wish, I could scour the town and find and bring to you such blasphemers. No, no. Rufus appeared mollified. They are my soldiers and my responsibility to bring such fools to justice. There is no need for the repentant to be involved. Thank you, Bishop Nod. Now please excuse me. I must attend to these guests. The Metef can be prickly, as you know, and they need to continue their trek to the king. As you wish. He turned to go, and then, as if forgetting something, he raised his squishy hand, face solemn, until our sins are forgiven. The centurion watched him go. Some need more forgiveness than others, he whispered to himself. It took a moment for Heather to interpret the look on his face. Hatred. Rufus sat down and took a long drink from his chalice and gave a grand smile. That went better than I had hoped. Did he kill your soldiers? Callista lowered her hood. Yes, Rufus smoldered with rage. At least one of them. The other, Cornelio, was found badly mauled. He all but confirmed my suspicions just now. And you let him go? Ken blurted. Heather rolled her eyes. Rufus obviously doesn't have any evidence. If he had, he would not have let that idiot leave. He didn't look like someone who could devise a plan like that anyway. He didn't even ask about us, which had to be the reason why he came here. No, he's taking orders from someone. Rufus focused his eyes on Heather. She clicked her jaw shut, but resisted the urge to throw her hands over her mouth. She had said too much. It was still Ken's fault. Too much time around him was rubbing off on her. Very astute, Heather Shackelford. Rufus's smile shone sincere. Ken looked confused. Rufus, if he knew about Callista, why did you have the girls put on the robes? I thought you were trying to hide them. Indeed, but I did not want him to know that I knew. It would be my sincere wish to spend more time with your group, Callista, third keeper of the staff, but it is in all our best interest if you leave quickly. That fool nod probably believes you came here to name the murderer, and with these recent events, inciting a group to bring justice to the dryads would not be difficult. I have already had your horses prepared with supplies, and they are waiting for you. Yes, dear? Stacy raised her hand. Can I have some more cake before I have to go? And a bath, Heather blurted out. She was spending too much time with Ken. The centurion's laugh was warm and genuine. Even Solace seemed to smile. Barely. The bath was luxurious, if not a little rushed. The water was hot, which Heather had not anticipated, but welcomed with enthusiasm. Apparently, the town's bathhouses were co-ed, 
And since time was of the essence, they didn't want to waste it explaining why Ken needed his own bath. Instead, he stood in the corner with his eyes closed as the girls washed. He protested that he didn't need a bath, but Heather insisted. The boys smelt worse than all three of them put together. The girls finished, dressed, and turned their backs. Ken took a quick plunge in the steaming water. He was done and dressed in far less time Heather thought it should take to clean away half of his grime. Heather expected to see Centurion Rufus at the stables, but was greeted by Rufus's armor-bearers and Salsas. Divine Quintus regrets not being able to be present at your departure, Salas said stoically. The bishop nod has started trouble quicker than expected. We must exit the west gate while he deals with the situation. The guards turned and led them down the street, Solace trailing behind. Heather tightened her grip on her reins. The situation sounded very close, and smoke itched at her nose. When three Hyperboreans with spears burst into the street, Heather feared that their luxurious bath may have cost them their lives. That's all for this week, Journeyers. Come back to see if Ken, Stacy, and Heather can escape. As always, thank you for listening, and be good to one another. <laughs>